pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. There you go. Living by purpose and not on accident. Living for the cause, God's cause. Our theme scripture for this month is this, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 29. 1 Samuel 17, 29 says this, is there not a cause? David said, what have I done now? His brother, Eliab, others around are ridiculing him, saying, what's your deal? Where's your sheep? What's up with you? What do you think you're doing? You're a kid. Leave the battle stuff to the big men. And David said, hold on a second. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason and an opportunity right now for somebody to stand up and to live unashamed for God? I believe there's a cause today. I believe in this nation there's a cause. I believe in this world right now there is a greater cause than ever before. Turn on the news. It doesn't take long to realize this world is going to hell in a handbasket. You see the struggles and it's not just foreign anymore. It's not just over other states. It's happening right here in our communities and all around us. There's a cause that is needed right now for us to stand up And to say, enough is enough. Enough is, devil, you have messed with us. You have stolen from us. You've taken my health for long enough. You've stolen my marriage. You've stolen my finances. You've taken my joy. Enough is enough. It's time that we live for the purpose and the cause of Christ. So over the past three weeks, we've been on a journey through the life of David. I love David. David is my favorite biblical character. And what we saw the first week was we saw that God was preparing him with the sheep, that he was to be faithful in the mundane. We discovered then that he was empowered by God as he was anointed to be the next king. But yet, even with the preparation by God, Even by God saying, I have provided myself a king. Even as it says in Acts 13, 22, I have found someone whose heart beats with mine. That was David. Even a man prepared by God and having a commendation like that by God. That's my man. A man who's anointed. He's a man that still finds himself in a cave. He's a man that still finds himself hiding out for his life. I'm sure at this time when he's in a cave, David is questioning almost his life. He's saying, is this really what I signed up for? Hold on a second. I was anointed to be king. This is not what I thought the script of my life would look like. It's almost like his life has made a U-turn. And where he was going, he is now going, it appears, in the opposite direction. But say with me today, but God. But God, I'm so glad, but God was still not finished with him yet. 
And what we have to be careful of doing is that we don't throw in the towel too early and give up too quick because what may appear may not be exactly as it is. What may appear in the natural can be different when we see through the eyes of faith. Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, he describes an experience that he had. As a thorn in his flesh. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. He says concerning this thing. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is. Because I believe for a reason. It's the things of our lives. The struggles. The adversities. He's not labeling it as one thing. But it's the struggles. It's the opposition. It's the enemy's attack against us. He said concerning this thing. I pleaded with the Lord. Not once. Not twice. But I cried out three times that that thing would depart from me, that would be removed from me. Do you see in his voice almost the thought of, God, I cried out and you didn't listen. God, I cried out again and you still didn't listen. But what do we see in verse 9? Then God says to him, here's what God really is saying between the lines. I heard you the first time. I heard you the second. I know exactly right where you are at. But be reminded, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, the strength of God is made perfect in what? In your weakness, in your struggle, in your adversity and in your pain. My grace is sufficient. God is saying to every one of us today, in your struggle that you've maybe cried out to me in. My grace, my power still is able and desires to work in you that you can fulfill your purpose and destiny. Just don't give up. Do not surrender to those things. And let's look about, uh, let's talk a little bit today about the struggles we face. Let's be honest, we don't like them. We don't like them. But I believe we can love the outcome of them. I don't like where I'm at now, but how many would say today, God's not finished yet? There's still hope. As long as there's breath inside of my body, there's still hope. And God is still able to do infinitely more than I could even imagine. Oh God, could you not use other things to get my attention than struggles? Yes, he could. And yes, he does. But it's the struggles that we find that what? They provide and produce the greatest results inside of us because the struggles push us to our knees. The struggles make us cry out to God. We will even discover today that sometimes the struggles we're in is not because of someone else, but it's also because of ourselves, our own decisions and our own choices. Let me prove that to you today from the life of David. David, we left him last week. He was anointed king. But he still doesn't go to the throne. He's back with the sheep. But while he's back with the sheep, we discover that he is invited to be a guest musician at the palace. An evil spirit would come upon Saul. Seek out a man, they said, that can play a harp, that can minister, that when he has that spirit upon him, he can play and that spirit would be gone from him. David was the man they found, a mighty man of God that was brought into the presence of Saul. And every time he played, there was a soothing that took place. We don't know why, but obviously David's role as being a guest musician 
mission is ended because he's now back with the sheep again because his father comes to him and says, David, I need you to take some breads and cheeses to your brothers that are at the battle. Come on, David was the first pizza delivery boy. Bread and cheese, it's a pizza. And you can eat one of those today. That's good, that's good. He shows up on the battle. He defeats Goliath. He gets the recognition, people around him. And then we read the next thought or the next step in David's life is this. He's appointed. He's appointed to be head of the armies of King Saul, to be over the warriors, the men of war. So what do we see? He's been prepared by God. He's been empowered through an anointing. And now man has appointed him. 1 Samuel 18 verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. In other words, he prospered in everything he did. Why? Remember this. God was with him. God was with him. But I want you to hear something today. Just because God was with him and is with him, that still means there is required support and participation from us needed. We need to help in the process. Oh, well, God's anointed me so I can just live however I want because when God's ready to use me, he's going to use me. No, no, your calling and anointing starts right now. Starts right now. You've got to work with the process. You've got to work with it because God's calling upon your life never is an excuse or never needs to be an excuse for your personal neglect, for you neglecting the responsibilities that we have. And it says, And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of all Saul's servants. Why? Why was David popular? Why did everyone who came around him love him, fall in love with him? Why did he have a relationship with Jonathan, the son of the king, that Jonathan and him became such close friends that Jonathan gave him his sword? Jonathan gave, Jonathan knew. Why was it, what was it about David? It was his character. It was his heart. It was who he was. People saw that every step, every day. People saw something different in him and said, man, I like that. I want to follow that. I want to be a part of that. Where did it begin? In the mundane. In the everyday things. So many times we can look at the everyday things of life and we can say, man, they seem small. Honesty seems small sometimes. Integrity seems small. Speaking right to our husbands and wives seems small at times. But what may seem small to you speaks volumes to other people around. Because other people are waiting. Other people are listening. Let me say it this way. Other people are waiting and they need to hear what you and I not only say, but who we are and what we do. The Bible labels us as ambassadors for God. We represent God. David represented the God whom he served. And as a result, he was popular. Wherever. I, I just got to say this. It's not in my notes. I'm tired of people preaching that when you live for God, others around you are going to not like you. I've heard that so many times. If you're really holy, then you won't, no one will like you because you're going to be so different. I'm tired of that. 
God's purpose on your life is not to remove you, that you're above other people. God's purpose is to make you relevant to those around. And relevance is not compromise. We should be attractive to people around. We should know to walk into a place and people be attracted to us because of how we look and how we are. And I'm not talking about the clothes we wear. That's just part of it. It's what's in the clothes that needs to be attractive to other people. And there should be something about us that makes us different. Christianity does not set us out and apart from everyone else. Sanctification is what we have to be set apart for. And that's a difference. God has placed us in this world to be a light to those around, to bring hope to those around. You should be the most popular person at your job. You should be the most popular person at your school. Why? Because people want to be around you. Not because of how you dress, but because of the way you live your life. And the way you conduct your life. And how positive you are. And how upbeat you are. And when the boss tells you something, you're not cursing them out under your breath. Or complaining and moaning about them. People are watching for your response. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I love Daniel too. We see it again in Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. The Bible says that Daniel had an excellent spirit inside of him. That excellent spirit, it what distinguished him. It elevated him. If you want to be the best at your work, have an excellent spirit of God inside of you. It will distinguish you above everyone else. And that's excellent spirit. Don't just take the spirit part of it and spiritualize it. That it's spiritual. It's practical before it's spiritual. It's handling your everyday affairs. God works from that place. God works from that place. We'll talk about our life. We'll look at it. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have, this is what the Bible says we have inside of us. As children of God, the Bible says we have a treasure inside of earthen vessels, inside, inside these clay vessels, this tent, this body. We have a treasure that the excellence, there it is, of the power may be of God and not of us. That there would be an excellence, a purpose, something different inside of us. And what's that difference? It's the God factor. Has to be the God factor that will make us different as he works inside of us. So David's appointed. He's now the commander. And for a season, everything's going well. Everywhere he goes, he's successful. The kingdom is flourishing. The kingdom is growing. Saul is happy. It could not be better Until, until the ladies come up with a song and a dance. And one day when they're coming back from war and David's beside King Saul, the ladies start to dance and the ladies start to sing. And the ladies begin by this. Saul has killed his thousands. Saul's going, yeah, come on, tell me about it. Sing, woman, sing. I like it. I like it. It's good. Everyone, come on, everyone join in together. Let's sing that song together. He's excited. He's enjoying it. But then there's the next line. But David, but David has killed tens of thousands. Hold on. (laughs) Can you see Saul? What? Hold on. Let's back that baby up a little bit. Let's back that up. Hold on, I thought it was about me, but really it's not about me. It's now about David. 
What about that last? I don't like the last line of that song. Can we just sing the first part again? And the Bible tells us that from that day forward, jealousy rose up in the heart of Saul. Jealousy rises up. And why is that? Because he sees the favor and the blessing of God upon the life of David. A blessing and a favor that through disobedience he had lost. It should have been him they were singing that off. But because of his disobedience, the song is now not about him. But the, I wonder if the song of your life is now about your problems more than the God that you serve. I wonder what people are singing of your life right now. Oh, look at him. He's so good. Praise God. Praise God. But he doesn't. He cheats on his taxes. He do, man, I wonder what the song is of your life. Saul's jealous. Now he looks at David as a threat. And what does he do with a threat? He has to be eliminated. He has to be taken out. Now remember, we're trying to get to the cave. Don't, just hold on. We're getting there. We're just painting the picture. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're getting there. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. Verse 8, And then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? The Message Bible says, before you know it, they will be giving him the kingdom. Verse 9, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. He kept a jealous eye on David. Let's read on verse 10 and 11. And it happened on the very next day that a distressing spirit from God came upon King Saul. And as he prophesied inside the house, David played music with his hands, just as other times. But this day there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Twice. As you read through, this incident doesn't just happen once. This incident happens twice. But both times, notice the result. A foiled attempt. What the enemy means for your demise and what the enemy means for your harm, as a child of God, he's not going to succeed. He's not going to succeed. Satan may have tried to take you out even this week. Satan may be trying to take you out right now. But the last time I checked, you're still here. You're still here. What does that mean? If Satan could have taken you out, he would have done it a long time. But greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. The enemy doesn't like you. That's okay. His plan to destroy you has no power. Save only the power that you give it. Because Satan doesn't possess the power to take you out. But listen to me. You do. You possess the power to destroy your life. You possess the ability to destroy yourself. How do we do that? With the choices and the decisions that we make. Choices and decisions, what? Inspired by Satan but not performed by him. That's you. Well, Satan made me do it. No, he did not make you do anything. He maybe dropped the thought into your mind, but the action all belongs to you. 
Oh, he sowed those thoughts towards that other person, but you were the one that went out and gossiped and told everybody things that you had no business. Oh, the enemy told you, if you want to be cool, go out and smoke drugs and do drugs. He didn't make you light that joint and put it to your mouth. He didn't make you pop that can top and drink that beer. That is a choice. And people around you didn't even make you do that. You chose that yourself. You've got to realize this. The enemy will come in every way he can because he sees you a threat. And you better realize that there's something great inside of me. And it's time that I stand up. You better say, devil, you've given it the best shot. But I'm still here. I'm still breathing. And there's still hope as long as I live. Come on. We will not die. We will live. We will live and we will not die. You've got to guard your heart. Proverbs 23. And verse 4 says this, above everything else, keep your heart. Not keep your neighbors, not keep your kids, not keep your parents. Keep whose heart? Yours, my heart. Keep my heart because out of my heart, it determines the course, the pathway of my life. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to surround yourself with the right people that are going to help you guard your heart. I'm so glad in the Bible one day there was a man who was paralyzed. That means he couldn't walk for himself. Jesus wasn't where he was. Jesus was somewhere else. He couldn't get there if it wasn't for the help of four friends that came around him and said, we're going to pick you up and we're going to march you to Jesus. You need to surround yourself with people that in your darkest, most miserable time of your life, when you can't even make the right decisions and choices, you need some people to say, I'm going to make some choices for you. We're going to be in the house of God. I'm going to pick you up. Get off that thing. We're going to take you to Jesus. I like what Pete said on Wednesday. If you missed that message, one of the finest messages you will ever hear on sanctification and setting apart your life for God. He says you've got to maintain an upward thrust in your life. And one of the things he said maintains that upward momentum in your life is connecting yourself with the right people. People that will correct you and people who will direct you. Oh, I don't like what you're telling me right now, but I still need to hear it. Thank you very much. A true friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Come on. You may get upset with them all you want, but hey, I'm tired of just pacifying things. We're living for a cause. We're living for a purpose, and the purpose is Christ. Verse 12. Get back to the story. Say, get back to the story, Pastor. That was a good detour, though. Did you enjoy that journey? We like that. Good ride, good ride, good ride, good ride. Come on, that wasn't for the faint-hearted. That was like Tower of Terror or something. We dropped and whoo! Now Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David. Why? The Bible tells us why. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. He recognized, he saw that God was with him. If he didn't realize it before, if he didn't see it before, He now sees this is a special person. This is God's prepared person. You are a special person. You are a special person. You are God's prepared person. And it says that Saul was afraid because he saw something in David, read on, that he did not have in himself anymore. He saw that God was with him, but he saw that God had left his life. God never leaves. Hold on a second. You just said God. God never leaves. 
Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Who possesses the power to destroy your life? You do. Saul left the presence of God. Through disobedience, he chose willfully to step out of the anointing of God and the blessing of God in his life. It's amazing when you think Saul recognizes now that God is with him. When we step into the world, we're going to be attacked when we serve God. Because people are going to see a difference inside of us that they don't have. And that's something that we've got to watch. We've got to watch because people want to follow their leader. You know what the leader of this world is? Satan. And you know what the Bible tells us about Satan? He wants to kill us. He wants to steal from us. And he wants to destroy our lives. Not good. He wants to steal, kill, and he wants to destroy. Read it for yourself. John 10.10. So you've got to watch the people who have no vision around you because they're going to maybe start seeing you as a threat. They're going to maybe start seeing you as a problem. But remember, they have the problem. You are the solution. Be the solution in every situation. Watch for people who have no vision for their lives. How do you know if someone's got no vision? They're still living in the past. And what they'll do is try to take your hope, your joy, your peace. And they'll try to disconnect and destroy your life. So Saul begins to plan how to take David down. And he first thinks, hey, best way... With a woman. I'll use a woman. I'll use my daughters. He actually uses both his daughters. He promises David his oldest daughter. And then when it was time for him to be given in marriage, he gives, him to someone, he gives it to someone else. David, how are you going to respond? David still responds right. And then Saul gives him his younger daughter, Michal. And, and, and he still uses her because he asks for a crazy dowry. We're not going to talk about that, but read it for yourself. Verse 25. But David again prevails over and over and over again to the point that the jealousy, the hatred, the desire to destroy David intensifies until it's so obvious that everyone knows that Saul is going to kill David. David has to flee for his life. But this is where he makes the wrong move. This is where he makes the wrong move. 1 Samuel 21 verse 10. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. He went to Achish, the king of Gath. In other words, David leaves the kingdom of Saul, his people, and marches right into the headquarters of their number one enemy where the king of their enemy lives. Verse 11, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? There's so many truths in God's word, but I have to say this. Isn't it amazing that the enemy even knows the plan that God has for your life? That the enemy is recognizing and saying, Is this not the king? Is this not the one who's the leader of this land? 
That's why Satan tries to destroy you, because he knows the purpose God has for your life. Let me say that again. The enemy knows the plan that God has for your life, and that's why he's trying to take you out every step of the way. Young people, kids, listen to me. The enemy wants to take you out now so he can destroy the plan and the purpose God has for your life. Keep living for God, because the enemy's attack must mean that God's hand is upon your life, because a thief doesn't break into an empty house. Satan's not going to mess with you if you don't have potential and purpose for the kingdom of God. It's great. It's awesome. Live for God. So in David's darkest hour, he's fleeing for his life. He's doing everything he can in his greatest time of need. What does he do? Here's what he does. Mistake number one, he turns to man instead of God. He turns to man instead of God. And I know I'm guilty of that many times. And don't look at me crazy because we all know that we are guilty of that so many times. When the problems come and the circumstances come, we run from the house instead of to the house. We trust in everything else except God. Come on, we've all been there. We place our confidence in ourselves and we begin to believe what? That's the only option that we have because we convince ourselves there's no other way, there's no other hope. Even God can't do this. So we go to man. We think that's our only option. But man's option is really no option at all. Because the world doesn't hold our future and answers only God does. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because what? Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil's not your friend. Take that word devour. Slice it. Dice it. Chop it. Beat it. Blend it. Mix it. Do whatever you want. The outcome is still going to be the same. Devour. Devour. And it's a literal definition. Meaning what? He wants to rip your life limb from limb to destroy your very existence. What do we see? David's helping his cause. David's helping the cause, not of Christ, but he's now helping the cause of the enemy because he has temporarily forgot the cause of Christ. He's forgot his purpose. He's forgot his place. He now helps the enemy as he walks right in to the enemy's camp. I wonder how many times we help the enemy in our lives. I wonder how many times we work on his team instead of being on God's team. It's not easy to admit, but we've all been there. But you better start to see that before it's too late. Because look at this. Man's way is opposed to God's way. Next slide, please. Man's way is opposed, completely the opposite. To what God's way. It's not kind of sort of this, it's the opposite to what God has. David's turning to his enemies, seeking help from them. I'm so glad that God can even use the enemy to awaken the purpose that's within us. As they begin to sing the song, they say, Hold on a second, is this not the one? That they sing a song about. Is this not the one? First Samuel 21, 11, The enemy begins to sing it in their language, in their words. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. The Bible says David's afraid now. David realizes he's in the wrong place. He knows it. And now fear takes over his next 
decision because the enemy wants you to think that you are in control of your life. But you've got to see this. David is losing control quickly and fast. Verse 12. Now David took these words that he is the 10,000 man. He's the dog. He's the next king. He's the great one. He takes all those things to his heart. Remember a heart that's reserved for God. And now he's afraid of the king that's before him. So David has a plan. So many times we have a plan. So many times we try to do it. Verse 13. So he changes his behavior before them and pretends that he is mad. He scratches the doors of the gates and lets saliva fall down his beard. Then the king says to his servants, look, this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Do I have need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come in my house, in my presence? He doesn't want him in his presence. But notice it was the wrong presence for David to be in anyway. Come on, say hello. But please notice the progression that's taken place here. It's not good. And this isn't just a David thing. We're not just reading about David. We're reading about our lives. He makes the wrong decisions. He makes the decisions to look to man instead of God. And the result is he is left mad and crazy. You make the wrong decisions in your life. You know what's going to begin to happen? You're going to say crazy things. You're going to start talking crazy. What's up with you? What, what are you saying? What's the deal? I mean, you used to be part but it's, you're going to start talking crazy. And it doesn't stop with the talk. It begins with the talk, but then you begin to act crazy. You begin to act a fool. You begin to become madness and all around you. Why? Because you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong presence. And those things will begin to happen to you. And it's not good and it's definitely not God. I know we're still not in the cave, but we're getting there. First Samuel 22, next chapter, verse 1. Therefore David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Say with me, the cave. He can easily move into a cave because there's plenty of vacancies. No one wants to live in a cave. They're empty because they're dark. They're dreary. They're damp. It's a miserable place. And now David's in two bad places. Physically, he's in a bad place, a cave. But spiritually, he's also in a bad place. What now? Hiding out in the back of the cave, he hears a noise and all of a sudden he realizes, oh, that's my dad, that's my brothers. His family begins to come to him. They're fleeing for their lives too because Saul is out to get David and destroy everything in his path on the way to David. But read on verse 2. It says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. What a bunch. What a bunch of broken, miserable, depressed, used up, Junk people that show up to David. It's almost like it's getting worse. In his moment of desperation, he needs the best. And the worst things show up. But don't miss the next words. You don't hear anything else from this message. Then wake up right now and just listen for the next few minutes. They gathered to him. 
So David became the captain over them. There was about 400 men. David took charge in what appeared to be total hopelessness, total no hope, and total despair. Something happened in that cave. Something happened. There was a turnaround that took place because the broken walked in and a mighty army stepped out. Those who were distressed, those who had no hope, those who felt it was completely over, walked in. But freedom, liberty and power walked out. Walked out. Oh, there was still a process. There were still things that had to be done. But what went in, something different came out. You fill in the gap for your life. What are you taking into the cave today? What is it of your life today that you've come here with today? What is it that you are in need of? What's going on in your life? I'm telling you, whatever it may be right now, God sees you as an army. God sees you as victorious. Because later we'll read that those broken, destroyed men ended up becoming some of the mightiest men that have ever lived. They wrestled lions in a snowy pit. They took giants down. One of them stood in front of a whole army and took them down and said, I'm not going to give up my lentils and my pea patch. These were people that were completely changed. Why? 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 What happened in the cave? What's going to happen in your cave today? I'm telling you what happened in that cave. David, the giant killer, begins to come back to life. David realizes this is not what God anointed me for. This is not where I belong. This is not what I deserve. This is not who I am. This is not my label. This is not my identity. And once again, he lets purpose rise inside of him. And he says, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. Because the God I serve is greater than this. He's in the cave for what reason? Because of his own wrong. He's in the cave because he did wrong. Maybe you've brought that situation upon yourself. But even though he's in the cave because of him. God is still in the cave. God is still in the cave. God's never left you. God's never forsaken you. God is right there. With you. God's purpose is still there. All that needed to happen was David need to cry out to God again and say, God, would you forgive me? God, would you hear my cry? And purpose rose. The cave was just another step. It's just another part of the preparation of God for your life. God never wastes in a miracle. God never wastes an experience. God never wastes anything of your life. And because David now is changed, everything around him changes. I believe today that's your testimony. 
I believe today I have read out your testimony today that this will be your day of purpose. You came in here sick. You came in here oppressed. You came in here tormented. You came in here with no hope. You came in here broken. You came in here jobless. You came in here with a destroyed marriage. But I want you to know something. It's not a cave any longer. You've stepped into a place of purpose. You've stepped into the house of God. This is God's house. This is people who are living for His cause. These are people that know what it is to serve God. And you will never have to leave the same way in which you came in. Because God is in the cave. God is in the cave. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? God's not forgotten you. I said, God's not forgotten you. I said, God's not forgotten you. I said, God's not forgotten you. It doesn't matter how you came in today. You're going to leave different. Can you believe that with us today? Can you receive that today in your life, in your heart? Come on, this cave is not where I belong. I don't belong in a cave. I belong on a throne. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp.hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.